0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org.
1: Thank you, Allison. It's good to hear from Joy and Jenny both. And it's good to see all of you here today. Many of you here for the first time, I think, or second time anyway, at uh, most, and we extend you a very special welcome. And I just want to begin the sermon time. It's not going to be mostly sermon, but I want to ask the question Who is Jesus? That's what both of the young women that we are supporting, that we heard from just now, are asking, respectively, in Australia and in Africa. I think it's a fair question considering the calendar pays attention to Jesus birth including nations that deny his importance even if they speak of the common era instead of the year of our lord so who is jesus it's the question that everyone wanted to know they wanted to have the answer for at the feast of tabernacles as recorded in john 7 and The entire Gospel of John answers this question as thoroughly as any book in the Bible. I've heard more than a few of you express sadness that we're coming to the end of the Gospel of John. And that's way better to hear you say, oh, too bad it's over, rather than, man, I'm glad that's done. Let's move on to something else. The title of the series has been, The Word Became Flesh And it's taken from the prologue in John's gospel, verse 14 to be exact. It's been wonderful to study at the levels that sermon preparation requires. I feel guilty almost being able to study like I do. But you should know that uh, David Calvert has been studying right along with me in the gospel of John. And so it's appropriate this morning that Dr. Calvert lead a panel of elders as we consider and review this marvelous book of the Bible. And to begin our time, I'm going to read uh, John 1, 1 through 5, and then verse 14, which begins to answer the question. These verses begin to answer the question, who is Jesus? And then the panel will come to the platform. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated.
0: Uh, and we're grateful to have three of our elders on the panel this morning, although all of our elders could have participated. Um, all of them participated in leading home groups and thus have been just as deep into John over the course of the last year and a half. Uh, so this is Lee and Bert and Jim. And they will be uh, sharing some thoughts as we walk through a few key questions. Uh, if you grabbed the John journal way back and have it with you, Uh, This would be a time to kind of flip through and think through the things that you have highlighted and marked through the course of that time. Uh, We'll probably make that a habit when we preach through an entire book of buying that book journal so that you can have that available. And it's also just a great idea if you want to read through the scripture, uh, buying these journals that allow you to uh, interact with the text, uh, make a timeline note of what was going on in your life as you read the Bible at that time. Um, So... If you're not a journaler, it could be something worth considering. Uh, and so, I think, yeah, Bert has his John journal uh, ready to go, marked up with some things that he wants to share. Pretty so, well worn. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you've got yours with you, you can, you can look at some of these things with us.
2: One, I, show the, um, I show the first date of the first sermon as January 20th, 2019.
0: Yeah, that's how that's long we've been. Right marinating in the text? 2019. Uh, I can't even remember. We're slow to
3: do anything new around here. I not know.
0: What was life like in 2019? I don't even know if I remember. So one of the first questions we asked back in 2019 was uh, considering the, the book of John as a courtroom setting. Uh, the way that John builds his argument is very similar to one who is making a case. In this case, He's arguing for Jesus' divinity, that Jesus is God. And so through the course of the book of John, we see him calling witnesses, those who would bear witness to this truth that Jesus is God. So this first question I want to start with for our panel and for you to be thinking about as we were all jurors as we walked through this book. In the courtroom of John, as you sat in the jury. Who or what was the most compelling witness?
4: Well, as a former trial lawyer, civil trial lawyer, I find the book fascinating because John uh, does do it sort of like we would do it in court. He calls witnesses and tells what their testimony is. Uh, I find him proving the case to be fascinating. And as I examine the book, I'm, I'm amazed how many witnesses there are. It, uh, you know, if you Google witnesses in John, you'll often find articles that say the seven witnesses in John. Right. Uh, and there are a lot more than seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many, many more. Uh, in the ESV study Bible, which I have in, on my lap here, they have the seven signs that Jesus uh, performed, proving that he is God. Uh, So, so yeah, the signs and wonders and miracles are certainly powerful testimony, uh, powerful evidence of the divinity of Christ. Uh, But in addition, a quick look at the book of John reveals so many witnesses that it's hard to name them all. Hmm. Uh, We see God. God the Father is a witness. Uh, Jesus says in chapter 8, The Father who sent me bears witness of me. Hmm. And as a Christian, I find it fairly difficult to argue that you can have a more powerful, more compelling, (laughs) more convincing witness than God, the 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 Father. Father. Uh, Of course, Jesus himself bore witness uh, to who he was and always is and always will be. Again, in chapter 8, verse 14, we read, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. And in chapter 6, he's even clearer when he says, uh, I and the Father are one. I'd call that compelling. And sticking with the Trinity, the Holy Spirit obviously testifies throughout the book as well Mm. about the divinity of Christ. So while the signs and the testimony of all three members of the Trinity are very convincing to most of us as believers... We might say, case proven, case closed, and sit down and say, we've proved our case. Uh, but as a lawyer, having tried some cases, you get some weird jurors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can you tell by looking at them? or <laughs> Well, you,
4: you, 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 both ways. Uh, and sometimes you can see during a case, some jurors are going, and you look at those and you go, Okay. and then you see someone, going, huh <laughs> uh, I can see people saying, Oh yeah, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy spirit you can't, I can't see them i don't that's something you believe in I don't believe in any, all that stuff uh, are they made up uh, so they might not they might not go with that as as much so, but who are the human witnesses in the in the scripture here uh, John the Baptist of course being number one. And if we had time, we could read John's testimony in chapter one, but that's several verses. But it's compelling. Uh, You read that, uh, John the Baptist's testimony in chapter one, and you say, I'm putting that guy on the stand. He is a compelling witness. And then, one that's often not mentioned is Philip. In chapter one, verse 45, it says, uh, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's saying this is the one that all the Old Testament writers were talking about. Hmm. He's pretty compelling. And, of course, Nathanael himself is always mentioned as a a big witness. In John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51, Uh, you see Nathanael proclaiming, who Christ is. And then Peter in John chapter 6. Of course, our man Peter's always a good witness, right? Cuz one thing we know but about is he though? Well, he's always a good witness about something. About his his failures,
1: hmm.
4: his humanity, and his love for Christ. He does all those things. Uh and in chapter 6 it says uh After this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him. Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter is a good witness here. Martha. Martha. Uh, in chapter 11 verse 27 she said to him yes Lord I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world and then you have Thomas of course doubting Thomas as we call him Thomas answered and when he saw the scars and felt he said my Lord and my God and of course John himself writes the book and John is a compelling witness 1 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory of the only son from the father full of grace and truth then in chapter 20 he said I wrote this whole thing to prove that he's the Christ then we have two, two witnesses that we often don't see in the list of witnesses the Samaritan woman at the well uh, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town And said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then there's the blind man. The blind man, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. So David, you've asked the question, which of these witnesses... wonders are most compelling Uh, well that's a good question Uh, all the disciples we might say were compelling witnesses right Uh, certainly John the Baptist is the one that most people would pick I think as far as the human witnesses Uh, but but John the Baptist some jurors say he's his cousin yeah, he's his good. I ain't believe anything the cousin says. Uh, some people might say oh, all those twelve, those eleven that left over that walked around, they were his buds.
0: Well, that's helpful to think of, like the spectrum of jurors. Yeah, that some of them are going to be tracking with certain witnesses, but others would need right. a different witness to be more compelling to yeah. them. That so, certainly goes for each of us.
4: Yeah. So to me, I think there's a tie, and it's. My choice is the most compelling one. It's hard to pick one. Obviously, the right. the, the cumulative evidence is amazingly powerful. Yeah, you'd, you'd have a hard time after hearing all these witnesses and and about the things he had, he did while here on earth. You'd be it'd be hard to say I reject all that. Yeah. But if, if just picking the human witnesses, I think a tie between. The woman at the well, and the blind guy. Okay, that's who I pick.
0: For me, I think, and it's interesting to think about the timing of when John is written and and how it begins to circulate. I think Lazarus would be a pretty compelling witness. On no, he day. would be, yeah. Uh, but at the time, like there, there seems to be in evidence that you know they didn't want to out Lazarus because they would. The leaders were trying to kill him to silence him. Uh, and, you know, right around the time of of Jesus' death and resurrection as well, but. But to hear Lazarus bear witness to, he just said my name, and I woke up and came out of the grave. Like, that's, that's a pretty compelling testimony. Yeah.
3: That's, that was mine. Lazarus uh, was my choice. Um, and kind of the household, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Yeah. Because you, you have Jesus who's coming into town, and uh, four days late, and Mary <laughs> and Martha are beside themselves. And even in the the grief that they're expressing for their brother having died they had to bury him and wanting Jesus to come and save him, each of them confesses before Lazarus is raised from the dead that Jesus is the Christ. And I always think about being at a funeral and say it's an open casket and all of a sudden, you know, (laughs) person jumps up. There, there'd, be a, there'd be a hard scientific explanation for that in this age of science and reason that we live in. Um, but here we have this man who had passed. He's been in a, a grave for four days. He's probably not, not smelling. They didn't want to open the, the stone, um, and out he comes. And there was a crowd of people that had come uh, with Mary and Martha to witness what they thought might happen. And so he comes out of the grave at the simple command of his friend, Jesus, the Messiah. And, uh, yeah, that's, I think, just because, it, it, because of the miraculous nature of it, it it's pretty incredible. And to yeah. be the recipient of that miracle like Lazarus was, that's uh, pretty, pretty incredible.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah I, I'm, just intri- I'm always intrigued by John the Baptist, because I, I wonder if he would seem, because he's kind of crazy, you know, you know, he's this kind of crazy guy that lives out of... Crazy the, witnesses you know, are
4: okay in a court. Y-
2: yeah, it's like, <laughs> I mean, he might seem... I'm mean, sure he's very charismatic, obviously, right. you know. Um, but uh, and, but I like the fact that even though he's so early convinced and, like, here he is, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals and, and that, um, but then later he doubts, you know. He, he um, said, after he's been imprisoned... And he, uh, Brad mentioned this at some point uh, when we were going through this, that, you know, he would have been assuming, oh, this is it. There he is. He's coming where everything's about to happen. And then he gets thrown in jail and ultimately, John the Baptist, I'm talking about, and and executed ultimately. Um, And so he's, you know, what's going on? You know, so he sends his people to Jesus to say, you know, are you... Are you really? You know, so even even this very powerful witness who's sent from God and is a voice crying in the wilderness, but even he, like we see with Thomas, you know, struggles with doubt.
3: He had expectations, and Jesus hadn't quite fulfilled this.
2: Right. Yeah. And that seems to be a, a theme, you know, on expectations not right. being met right. as to what Jesus
0: was going to be like or who he was going to be. Well, some of these things we've talked about are, are also born out in the prologue. And we spend a lot of time talking about the prologue, particularly in light of it being an opening statement in the courtroom. Uh, John gives us up front what he's going to argue, then he argues it, and then he comes back and says, I've said all these things so that you might believe. And so in the prologue, there's a lot of key themes that begin to play themselves out through the course of the book of John. And so my most marked up section of my John journal is chapter one, because I'm I was making my own, like, personal cross-references. If you have a a scripture or a passage of Bible that that includes cross-references, those are super helpful in studying the word. And so hopefully, if you've seen that, you you notice that chapter 1 is, there's, in the ESV, they use these little letters. There's letters everywhere, after every phrase, because these things show up later in the book. And so one quick question I had was, what themes from the prologue, if you turn to John chapter 1, what themes uh, did you find to be most consistent, or what ones popped out to you as you're reading through and as we preach through the book of John?
4: I think there are three themes uh, that stand out life, light, and darkness. Mm. Uh, and of course, we talk, when he talks about life, he talks about uh, Jesus became flesh, God became flesh, and walked among, among us. So I think the, the primary theme is the primary theme of the book. Jesus is God incarnate.
2: The parallel to Genesis, you know, I've just, I keep going back to that. It's just Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light And there was light, and it was good, and he separated it from the darkness. Uh, And all those, I mean, surely John is, you know, very aware of the parallel when he say, in the beginning, you know, was the Word, which, okay, God was in the beginning. He made all things. um, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, so there's clear, to me, a very clear, uh, John is pointing directly to the Genesis one,
3: you know. So I like um, the phrase, which actually, I guess I'm lazy. It's the title of this whole sermon series we've been on for <laughs> twenty lazy. months. <laughs> that means we uh, did our job. The I Word became flesh it. and dwelt among us. Something about that word "dwelt." Um, it just it resonates. It 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 has sat with me uh, for a while throughout this whole series. Um, I have, have had the f- very fortunate privilege of traveling to Israel and walking where Jesus dwelt. And that, it's, it's an incredible experience. And studying this with that experience is, is powerful because you see that um, we, can, we can imagine in our heads, but you see where this man who was God lived amongst these specific people, the people he interacted with, that John does such a good job of, of describing, um, and how they're used in the ministry of Jesus, and how Jesus just speaks into their life. Um, so, there's something about being, talking about dwelling with us, and I like Bert. It's incredible the parallel between uh, Genesis, the first couple chapters, and John. How they're just jam-packed. The first chapter of John, this prologue, with such foundational truths upon which a whole lot of other stuff is built. Like you said, there's just all these references uh, within the prologue, and I looked at First John, chapter one, one and two, and he, John begins First John in the beginning, and then he says in verse verse two that the Word of Life was made manifest. And so here he is again saying the exact same thing he said in the prologue, that Jesus, who was God, was made manifest in human form, 100%. And he dwelt in this place in bodily form for, you know, 33-ish years. And now, how fortunate that we have his spirit, which I think we'll talk a little bit about too.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, that that word dwelt is intentionally uh, supposed to elicit A connection to tabernacling, to tenting, uh, which is how God dwelt with his people, again, in the Old Testament. So all these connections that we made through the course of preaching through this book. Um, Being Mother's Day, I think it's really interesting to also reflect on the ways that John uses women as witnesses. uh, Which, in the ancient Near East, was not a particularly common practice uh, for multiple reasons. We can get into it historically, but... To look at the way Jesus interacts with women, as John records it, uh, is really fascinating. Are there any insights you all have gleaned from that the way that Jesus interacts with women
2: Well, sort of starting at, at the end i mean uh, i 've always been someone pointed this out to me, and i, I just go with me here, be, 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 care, be careful what I say here but uh, <laughs> the depending on your de- definition of the term evangelist. <clears throat> The first person to proclaim the risen Christ was a woman, was Mary Magdalene. Um, She doesn't recognize him at first. You know, she goes and first assumes that his body's been stolen. She runs back to this, oh, I don't know where they've taken him. So she doesn't see the empty tomb and instantly realize he's resurrected. However, you know, she goes back and sees the angel and the angel tells her and then she believes and then she goes and tells the disciples. I've seen, and then she sees Jesus himself and uh, tells him that. Um, And I believe, and you can correct me uh, if I'm wrong, but I believe, at least in John, I I guess I I haven't made careful note of this, but in John, the first person to say I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world, is a woman, is Martha. Um, that's before Peter uh, says you are the Christ, as, as recorded, anyway. Yep. Um, so, clearly, women are being given an important role, and as, as David says, at a much more than they would have been socially uh, at that time, which, which is really interesting that a lot of times today... Christian, conservative Christians, anyway, are sort of seen as being anti-woman <clears throat> and trying to keep women down and so forth. But scripturally, I mean, women are elevated, you know, in the scripture and given these very prominent uh, roles. Uh, so I, I think that c- clearly in, in John, Jesus is r- regularly interacting with women. The, the story of the woman at the well that has been mentioned already is a really, really important story, um, And something that Jesus socially shouldn't have done, you know, been uh, talking to this single woman of ill repute uh, in the middle of the day. Uh, And you may have heard, and we probably talked about this at the time, that, you know, she was probably coming to the well in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be around other women who would have been coming earlier um, because she didn't have a good reputation and didn't like dealing with, you know, women Uh, the way they would have treated her. Um, But Jesus comes and, you know, they have this interaction and he's very kind to her. And, I mean, he's honest, you know, with her, but doesn't, I'm sure she was struck at least initially that he was even having anything to do with her, you know. Um, So I think that um, the role of women in John is really, really significant. And, again, coming back to it particularly in the end when it's the women... Who the women follow him at the cross, and the women mourn for him, and he says, don't mourn for me, <laughs> you know, and then they are the ones who see him. And depending on the different gospels, it's always the women, you know, who go to the tomb. So I think um, Jesus is telling us a lot about um, the importance of women in, in his kingdom through this book.
0: Our final question is, you know, what witness or a participant in, in the story do you identify with? That's a question for all of us to think about as we continue to chew on John, even as we've finished our sermon series. But what, what witness or participant do you identify with the most as we think about those, those folks in John?
3: So for me, it is this woman that we've talked a lot about, this Samaritan woman um, who found herself deep in conversation with Jesus. Um, we have Jesus who is traveling Judea up to Galilee through Samaria. Instead of going all the way around it, he just heads right through. Um, not as common in that day because as an Orthodox Jew, it made you pretty much unclean. It's kind of like going to the wrong side of town and, you know, you didn't want anybody to see you there. Jesus was kind of pushing against that, so here he is going through the desert, um, and he is tired, he's thirsty, and he's hungry. So he goes and he sits at this well, which is attributed to Jacob, and up comes a woman. Jesus is there first chronologically, and the woman approaches in the heat of the day, and Jesus engages with this woman. Brad, it's such a great job on this part of Scripture. And he engages with this woman that he should never have talked to, really, according to the customs that we've been talking about. Um, So he kind of broke that down and starts talking to her, and she realizes that there's something a little bit different about this man. I am sure there's so much dialogue that is not written in this, just like John said at at the end of his letter. There's a whole lot that's been left unsaid. Um, so I would love to hear that. But this woman engages with Jesus because Jesus engaged with her. Um, he met her where she was headed. And she knew with just in probably a few minutes of conversation that the Messiah that the Jews talked about, she, she believed that one day he would come. And as a Samaritan woman who saw herself as part Jewish, um, believed in that too, that that person would come to them. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'm the Messiah. I'm so glad you're here. He he convicts this woman and says, can you draw me water? What? You want to drink out of my cup? If you knew the water that I had You would ask me for water, and I would give you living water, the the Holy Spirit that would come. And so this woman is engaged with this conversation. Jesus looks deep into her soul, and she feels this connection with him, this conviction. And that conviction leads her to believe that there's something special about this man. First, she thought he was a prophet. And at the end of her conversation with Jesus, she leaves, and she goes to witness to other people. She left her jar. I thought that was really interesting why she came. I mean, she just, she left her jar. And she went and witnessed and say, and says to the people of the city, I found the Messiah here. He's here. And then we see other people come. And by the word of her testimony, people believed. And then other people came to Jesus and Jesus stayed for two extra days in this place where he really shouldn't have been anyway. And, More people believed. And that's just such an incredible, um, powerful testimony that I I often, in reading this, saw myself in the position of Jesus, sharing the gospel. I think it's so important that we see ourselves as the Samaritan woman in need of a Savior, and that when he calls out to us, all we can do is say, this is Christ, the Messiah.
0: Well, just as John said, there's a whole lot more that could be written. There's a whole lot more that could be shared uh, by this panel. I do want to thank uh, the three of you for participating in this way and sharing insight that we can continue to chew on as we leave from this place. Uh, so, if you would, let's stand and sing together and confess what we believe.